Welcome to episode six of the Project Edward 2023 podcast with me, James Luckhurst. The title of the podcast is My Role in the Safe System. And for this week's conversation, I've made the journey to the Northeast to catch up with someone whose own role in the safe system really only comes into play when something catastrophic has happened. Nevertheless, it's a vital function requiring extensive legal, investigative and critical thinking skills, as well as the ability to use logic and reasoning and to understand complex scientific data. I'm Derek Winter. I'm Senior Coroner for the City of Sunderland, and I'm one of the two Deputy Chief Coroners of England and Wales. To be a coroner, you need to have a five-year legal qualification, so a solicitor, barrister, legal executive. And uh, you should have um, a reasonable amount of, of life experience as well. I came to this role as a solicitor, as senior partner in a local um, law firm with a background mainly of family practice and mental health law. And after an open competition by the local authority who are responsible for appointing uh, their local coroner, I was successful. I was appointed in uh, 2003. So this is my 20th year as coroner. And in that time, we've seen a lot of reform and uh, more consistency. We have a, a chief coroner who provides us with leadership and who has responsibility for training of all coroners and to keep up to date and to improve skills. We have two days residential training every year. We have a one day medical training day. Um, newly appointed coroners um, have an induction training about their judicial role and how to be a coroner in that medico-legal world. So it's it's quite a complex process. We currently have 81 coroner areas in England and Wales. Some of those senior coroners who lead the service in each area are supported by a full-time area coroner. And most areas will have a number of assistant coroners who sit about 20 to 25 days each year. I think before we go through the questions that, that I've come up with, the most obvious one I should ask straight away, I suppose, it's death. And it must be a very testing career on, on a daily basis. It, it can be, but um, in all walks of life where there are difficult circumstances to deal with, you will be professional about it. You will have good support from your family and from your coroner team and from other coroners in the country who will provide welfare support. And the chief coroner in his tenure has made a point of addressing uh, coroner welfare. He conducted a, a tour of every coroner area in the past couple of years to make sure that coroners themselves were fine, that they were properly resourced, because that can be an issue uh, for some coroners. And I expect most coroners will know where to go for support if they are having difficulties. Many cases will touch coroners personally, and uh, the, the best way of dealing with it, in my view, is to recognise what's going on in court and for everyone to take time out, just have a break and compose themselves. For most people coming to the coroner's court, it will be their only attendance at the coroner's court. And we're very lucky in this area, we're supported by volunteers from the coroner's court support service who 
uh, over the years have expanded into a number of other coroner areas to meet the needs of the families mainly, but anybody attending court who encounters upset or distress can can turn to the the volunteers and we're hoping in, in the coming months locally to establish a team of bereavement nurses who will look after families and professionals including coroners if they need uh, professional help and guidance what does a typical day look like for you uh, a typical day for me uh, starts early in the morning with uh, walking the dogs in whatever weather the northeast may throw at us it's a good time for me to gather my thoughts and to uh, look at uh, the death referrals that have come in overnight um, death referrals now come into a coroner's office through a portal system on our IT and um, reports come in from general practitioners, from police primarily and from the hospitals and they they complete a, a, a series of requests for information and documents can be downloaded through the portal which would include things like an identification statement or some information about a deceased person. Walking the dogs gives me time to just think about what's what's coming overnight because um, you will not have an, any idea as to the numbers or the circumstances of those deaths coming in. And you really have to orientate yourself before you start the journey to the office. Uh, during the pandemic, we would have a Teams meeting of all of my um, coroner team, coroner's officer, my PA, to discuss the, the caseload ahead and its allocation and what we were going to do about um, various death reports. Because with those death reports, decisions have to be taken as to whether it's the sort of death which was expected, it may be natural, and a doctor could sign the death certificate in, in terms. There may be other cases which warrant further inquiry. There may be other cases where the cause of death is genuinely not known maybe of a young person or a suspected drugs death perhaps and then a post-mortem examination would be required in the past couple of years i would say we're moving away from invasive post-mortem examinations to ct scanning it's more expensive but it's less upsetting for families and faith groups and it's available to all if it's an appropriate case um, for scanning to take place some cases can't um, be dealt with by scanning. So the the start of the day is essentially a triage about what will require urgent attention, what might wait, what information we need. And then I will give directions to my coroner's officers about what's required. And then usually by 10 o'clock we're into court. Court would could be 10 till 1 and then an afternoon session 2 till 4 or 4.30. And then during the course of the day um, myself or one of my assistants will be signing the various forms that we need to sign to enable death certification or a funeral to take place. So it's a it's a busy day and what keeps me and my team fresh is every day is different and you have to rise to those challenges. Let's talk about road deaths and, and when, how and, and why it would require the involvement of a coroner. The coroner's jurisdiction to investigate any death is triggered by virtue of Section 1 of the Coroners and Justice Act 2009. The, the, the basic jurisdiction is that the death is unnatural, the cause of death is not known, it's a violent death or somebody dies in state detention. 
If a person has died as a consequence of a road traffic collision, there may be some reason for that. There may be uh, an underlying health condition. There may be human error. There may be a raft of other circumstances influencing what has happened, perhaps drugs or alcohol. So the coroner's involvement um, would usually come either through the uh, police traffic investigation unit or possibly from the emergency department at the hospital if somebody had been taken there. And then the coroner's inquiry would would commence. Um, we would um, make a decision about post-mortem examination, whether by scanning or invasive techniques. We may inevitably take toxicology to look for alcohol or prescription or illicit drugs in somebody's system that may have played a part. The police will set about doing their inquiries, which will be a, a very thorough examination of the, the scene of the collision. They will examine the vehicle, they will take witness statements, and all of that will take time from a very specialist unit. And as a coroner, I have to wait for that to be presented to me with sometimes complex calculations and analysis of um, uh, mechanical parts of a, of a vehicle. But in the meantime, what we're trying to establish is what is the cause of death and to make sure that we can get an early release of a deceased person back to their families so that they can have their funeral. And there may be criminal proceedings on, on, on the back of that road traffic collision, which may impact on my ability to deliver an early inquest hearing. Let's talk about the relationship between the families and the authorities that they will meet on the journey that they were never expecting to have to make, but are thrown into it violently, suddenly, probably with a knock on the door in the middle of the night, life changes forever. I guess that's something you've got in your mind when you meet them. We always have the family at the heart of the process. It's, it, it's their loss. There may be um, confusion with with the system that they're about to be exposed to. We have a very informative um, website. We're very open and transparent about when our hearings are taking place. I'm very conscious that this is a state-imposed system on families. They may not want a post-mortem examination. To them, the cause of death may seem very obvious but that might be their initial reaction because in the fullness of time they will want answers to more detailed questions and i see it as my role to provide them with as many answers to their questions as i can provide and to minimize distress so the, the families may have a family liaison officer from the police somebody that they've never had to deal with before there will be that death inform message which is uh, an, an awful um, function for any police officer to um, have to deliver at, at all times of the day. And then when the case is referred to the coroner, um, my team will make contact very early on in, in the process with the family to guide them through. And my practice um, here in Sunderland is to make sure that the coroner's officer who picks up the case on the referral will stay with that family to the very end of the case when the inquest is concluded. And that's really important for continuity uh, for the family so that they're not having to explain to different people at different times their story and what their expectations are. And I see it as my officer's role 
to manage the family's expectations that the coroner is there to determine who the person was who's died, when they died, where they died and how they came about their death and record the particulars required for a death certificate. And the coroner's court is, is not into apportioning blame. We are directed by law that we cannot appear to determine civil liability or criminal liability on the part of a named person. Those matters are for other courts. And one of the recent innovations that the chief coroner has um, uh, pushed through is that at inquest, the family should have the ability to tell us something about their loved one. They don't have to if they they don't want to, and some will do it in in different ways. Um, but it's it's called a pen portrait, and there's chief coroner guidance on that um, very subject matter and how coroners should um, introduce a pen portrait of the person who has passed away, so that we we recognise that we are um, dealing with a particular individual and the impact of their loss on the family. Maybe we can explore the relationship you have with partners, the police, pathologists, forensic scientists. Explain what you need from each other and how it works. Unlike other judges, a coroner has to engage with many groups, and you've touched upon many of those already. So pathology um, is provided in different ways. Um, it's not part of a pathologist NHS work, usually. So we're dealing with pathologists from the NHS setting. In more difficult pathology cases, we're dealing with home office forensic uh, pathologists. We are dealing with the science behind all of those individuals as well. So the laboratories for toxicology, other ologists, so there may be anthropologists, there may be odontologists, there can be a lot of individuals that we need to engage with to tap into their expertise so that we get the answers to the questions that the families have raised and as part of our investigation to make sure we get the best information we can. We have to forge relationships obviously with our police, with our health trusts, with our paramedics and it's important that we understand how one another will work, what our expectations are, that if I say I require a statement in 14 days, that it arrives by the 14th day, not the 15th day, and that the information can be given to the families. So it's important that coroners engage in speaking events, do podcasts, do what they can to demystify the process and to make sure that there are good working relationships uh, with all organisations, which are, are, are many, because every type of death will bring with it different organisations. So a suicide would bring in uh, the mental health trusts, a drug death will bring in our drug surveillance teams. There are lots of things that a coroner will be doing in the back office to make sure that there's good and effective service delivery. I'm sure not every post-mortem is straightforward, so why can some take so long? And, and what happens if, if a family or party that's connected with the case challenges the outcome? Post-mortem examinations, there are about 90,000 or thereabouts in England and Wales every year from 600,000 deaths. Um, there are statistics published by the Ministry of Justice, uh, which are on the internet, which give out national statistics and more local statistics for each coroner area, including 
how many post-mortem examinations were carried out, whether they were an invasive procedure or by scan. Sometimes a pathologist can do an examination and they will see something to the naked eye and they can clearly establish what the cause of death is. So that's a macroscopic examination. But on some occasions, the cause of death is less clear. And there are times where the pathologist will need to take samples to look at down the microscope. And we call that histology. That can take time to, to be prepared and to then examine and then to write a report upon. There may be other tests where, uh, for example, a, a brain might have to be examined by a neuropathologist. And again, that can take time. But the, the, the timescales to a large extent are determined by the cause of death or likely cause of death and the availability of pathologists and experts to help the coroner. Because as I've said, it's not part of their NHS work. Very often they have to be paid privately. The statutory fee is currently about £96 for a post-mortem examination. And most pathologists then have to make up their time to the NHS if they come away from their place of work to do this work for a, a coroner. There are other areas which can take a while to, to deliver a report. Um, the pathologist will have not just, of course, examine a body, but the, the pathologist will be reading through the case notes as well. They have other duties to attend to. For baby and child deaths in this area, we have no paediatric pathologists in the, in the area. So sadly, babies and uh, young children have to go to either Leeds or Sheffield for examination. And that's distressing for families at a difficult time to know that their, their baby is out of the area. But we, we try very hard to get funerals undertaken as, as swiftly as we can, but also to try and get reports delivered in a, in a timely way because families need to know the reason for somebody's death. And, and, and also one of the, the collateral benefit of a post-mortem examination can be that you can identify um, genetic conditions, inherited illnesses, and direct people, say, for, for screening through their GP. So it, it, it's a really important public health function that the coroner has. And I'm afraid pathology needs to be tackled so we can try and get reports through in a, in a, in a better way for families. Let's just talk about the causes of, of road collisions because the, everything points to it being mostly to do with human error. Does your experience back that up? Human error does account for a lot of road traffic collisions. Sometimes people are overly ambitious with their driving skills, their speed awareness, consideration for their own safety. Drugs and alcohol, sadly, uh, will have a significant impact on uh, people's cognitive functioning. We do see road traffic collisions where there are no human factors directly involved. So a road layout may need to be considered or signage uh, may be subject to scrutiny. There have been some inquests dealing with smart motorways, for example, in, in terms of their um, safety. So there are there are lots of different factors come to play when a coroner is doing an investigation. Speed is is probably uh, the most significant factor in my view. 
Your job has many challenges, Derek. But what's what's on the on the positive side? What's rewarding, and and what do you gain from what you do? The most important thing is to help families through their crisis. And most families, in my view, if they come to an inquest, will say they don't want this to happen to somebody else. And that goes to another public health function that coroners fulfil, and that is the ability, their duty, in fact, to write a report to prevent future deaths if there are concerns apparent to the coroner, for example, during the inquest hearing. And... Uh, the, the rules on prevent future death reports are very clear, that if those concerns exist, the coroner's duty is to write a report to an organisation, mainly, who can uh, make a difference. And if a coroner sends a prevent future death report to that organisation, they're obliged to respond in 56 days. Uh, they can apply for an extension of time, but Part of Open Justice is that reports are published on the Chief Coroner's website and also the responses to those reports are published and um, for people to see what reports coroners have written about circumstances that might have local or national interest. And it's it's very gratifying if, if the coroner's investigation can resolve a problem and go on to save a life and then the families at least take something away from the inquest process, having had a, a, a catastrophe in their lives uh, with their own loss. Derek Winter, Deputy Chief Coroner of England and Wales, and His Majesty's Senior Coroner for the City of Sunderland. And that concludes this week's episode. Do like us, share us, and encourage your colleagues and friends to download the podcast or to listen via the Project Edward website. Next week, we're in the company of Durham's Police and Crime Commissioner, Joy Allen, with the National Police Chiefs Council Lead for Roads Policing, Joe Shiner. Do join us then. But for now, from me, James Luckers, for this week, it's goodbye. Goodbye.